Masechet Pesachim has been dedicated by Mr. Ike J. Shechebar in honor of his grandparents, Mr. Ike and Jeanette Bibi. We bless Mr. Ike Shechebar, who's been a sponsor of the Dafyomi for many uh, days. They should continue to enjoy success, health, and happiness. May his grandparents also enjoy much nachat from him as well as all their grandchildren and may they only share in semachot for the entire family. Amen. Amen. Today's daf has been dedicated Amen. Today's daf is being studied and Avraham ben Esther Ruach Hashem Tanihim Began Eden Amen We begin on Daf Pevav And we are going to begin with the Tashema It is the third wide line Last word on the line Tashema Come and learn Now until this point We were learning the Shita of Rav Rav's opinion was That the uh, ground of Yerushalayim and the Azara is Kodesh. However, the rooftops uh, of those areas were not sanctified. That was Rav's opinion on the uh, last daf. Gagin va'aliyot lo nitkadeshu. The roofs and the second stories of the buildings uh, did not were not sanctified. What Ashi just said over there, Ben Gage Yerushalayim, Bektushat Yerushalayim, the Kadashim Kalim. Whether it was the roofs of Jerusalem proper, uh, which are not allowed to eat, let's say, Korbanot, called Kadashim Kalim on, in those areas. For example, like a Korban Shilamim, which normally can be eaten in the walls of Jerusalem, would not be able to be eaten on the roofs of Jerusalem. Ben Gage Lishkot Azara, or whether it's the roofs of the offices of the Courtyard of the Beit Hamikdash, Litushat Kodesh Kodashim, for Korbanot that are on the status of Kodesh Kodashim, for example, like Korban Hatat. So therefore, the rooftops were not sanctified. So the Gemara now poses a challenge. Tashema from a Mishnah: Haleshachot habenuyot bakodesh uftuhot lachol. Okay, leshachot is like an office, or they calling it a chamber. That was built in the Kodesh. It was built in the holy area. And it opens up into unholy area. Now what exactly is the holy area and the unholy area? The holy area we're talking about over here is the Azara of the Beit HaMikdash. So this balcony or chamber, we'll say, opens into the uh, Azara. Abinuyot Bakodesh Uftuhot Lahol. Sorry, it opens into the hall, into the Temple Mount. Now the Temple Mount is really not uh, hall, but the Azara, the Temple Mount would be considered hall. Right? We said the holiest place of the discussion here is the Azara itself, and then you have the Temple Mount, and you have Yerushalayim, that corresponds to the three Machanot, Machane Shekhinah, Machane Leviyah, Machane Israel. So again, you have this chamber, you can only access it from the uh, Temple Mount. So they call the Temple Mount Chol, because in regard to the Azara, it's Chol. I think the Azara is much more holy, correct? So again, 
but they are in the Kodesh, which means the, the actual chamber itself is located in the Kodesh. It's just the only way to access it is you got to go around from the Temple Mount. So the inside of that area is going to be considered hall, meaning it's a deen of Temple Mount. But the roofs that are in the Azara are going to have Kiddushah of the Azara. So therefore there's the question on Rav. You just told me Rav that the Gagim do not have a status of Kodesh and here this structure has a status. Now, let's read uh, just the English interpretation so you get a better picture of what we're talking about. I'm reading 13. The references to chambers built at the edge of the courtyard area with no entrance from the courtyard, but only from the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount is considered unconsecrated in relation to the courtyard. Okay, since in the courtyard itself, in the uh, Azara, you can eat even Koche Kodashim, whereas in the uh, Temple Mount, you cannot. So therefore, that's one is called Kodesh and one is called Hol. It's not totally Hol, it's just Hol Gabe, as we explained. Since the chambers open only to the Temple Mount, their interiors have the limited sanctity of the Temple Mount. Okay? Because that's where they are uh, facing. So that's the question on Rav. Gemara's answer. Targema Rav Hezda. We're talking about a chamber that was built where its roof is flush with the Azara. Which means the Azara was higher than the, uh, uh, than the uh, Temple Mount. Which means as you went up to the Beit HaMikdash, it steeped going up, on incline going up. till you got to the actual Beit HaMikdash, was on the highest part of the mountain. So therefore it was possible that this was built where its roof is exactly on the same height as the Azara, but it is opened to the uh, Temple Mount, which is beneath it. So therefore, since it's on the same level, it's not considered a roof, it's just considered ground of the Azara. That's how Rav Chazda will answer for Rav. Okay? If that's the case, Emasefa. Well, we'll bring you a question from the end of that Mishnah. It says, Binuyot Bachol Uftuhot Lakodesh. That's the opposite case. They're uh, built uh, in the hall, meaning the chamber, this chamber is built in the Temple Mount area. However, it is opened into the Kodesh, meaning the only way you can access it is through the Azara. It's the reverse case. Okay? Binuyot Bachol, Uftuhot La Kodesh, Tochan Kodesh, same rule. Since it's accessed by the Kodesh, so it's considered, the inside of that chamber is considered Kodesh, Vegagotehem Hol. But the roof is going to be considered Hol because it's considered in the Temple Mount area. The east Now if we're talking about a case where the gag is flush with the azara, So then the chamber mentioned over here had to be a mehila, which is a tunnel. Because what's happening here is 
the uh, the uh, roof that we're talking about by the azara, right? It's flush with the azara, and then it goes down, right? So you have a like a tunnel that's running through the uh, temple mount. Now we have a rule regarding tunnels that run through the temple mount because it's it's below. The roof is up high, and this is going beneath that. What's the law of a tunnel that runs through the Temple Mount? The Amar of Yohanan, Mechilot Londit Kaddishu. If you remember, we learned this earlier, that the Yohanan held that the tunnels that run through the Temple Mount are not Kodesh. They don't have a deen of Kodesh. So how could you tell me that if it's facing the uh, Temple Mount, it has a deen of the Temple Mount? It's not so. The Chaurah, according to the Yohanan, if a deen of a tunnel does not have Kiddushah, at all. Let's read um, let's read number fourteen just to understand this scenario. Actually we'll read fifteen. This refers to chambers built outside the courtyard. That's right, it's outside the Azara that had entrances from the courtyard. Their interiors were consecrated because the entrances defined the interior space as extensions of the courtyard. Right? They only access from the Azara. So for the inside of these chambers, it's considered like Azara. However, their rooftops were unconsecrated because they were actually located outside the courtyard. The roofs themselves were outside. They were in the Temple Mount area. Actually, no such uh, chambers existed. Okay, it's a hypothetical case. Number 16 explains that if the chambers built outside the courtyard did not reach above ground level of the courtyard, that's right, which means they were flush with the azara, because the roofs were flush with the azara, there were cellars in relation to the courtyard, which means, exactly, the courtyard is on one level, and these um, chambers were beneath them. So the gabir, the azara, this is like a tunnel. That is underground. And the Yohanan taught that tunnels that run underground do not have Kedushah. Now what do you mean? You just told me now that since it's facing the Azara, it has a status of Azara, it has a status of Kodesh. So that's the question. Gemara says, Ki ka'amar Yohanan Miftuchot lehar habayit Ki tanyahi so it depends. When did Rabbi Yohanan say that the tunnels that were beneath the Harabayit are not considered Kodesh? Those were specifically talking about tunnels that were opened towards the Harabayit. But the ones that were opened towards the Azara indeed had Kedushah. So it depends what direction the uh, chamber is facing. Now if the opening of the uh, Azara, of the chamber of the Leshachot was facing the Harabayit, so then you're right. These underground tunnels do not have Kedushah to them. However, if the opening of these chambers were facing the Azara, they're not considered, well they might be considered a tunnel, but it's a tunnel that has Kedushah to it. So we're making a Hiluk in the Yohanan. Chavzikevaran says, how could that be? Vehatanya Rabbi Yehuda Omer. Rabbi Yehuda taught. Mechilot mitahat haechal chol. 
he clearly said that the tunnels that run underneath the Hechal, uh, that's the Betamigdash uh, area, they were not considered Kodesh. Now, the um, Kaora, this is referring to all the tunnels. Even the tunnels that were facing towards the Azara. So how could you make a Hiluk in Rabbi Yohanan? That's the question. It's referring, yes, it's opening to the Azara, but a certain part of the Azara. The part of the Azara that was considered unconsecrated space. Let's review the uh, shape of the Azara. You had the Beit HaMikdash. The Beit HaMikdash, if you look at your picture uh, on 85B, Three. Correct. Now, you see the Beit Hamikdash. The Beit Hamikdash was all the way. Uh, we'll call that at the western end of the courtyard. Okay, that's where the Beit Hamikdash was. You have the big courtyard over here. That's uh, this whole structure, and the Beit Hamikdash is towards the back of it. That's the western side. Behind it, you see number twenty-two. You have a little area that was eleven amot of space that went from the back of the Beit HaMikdash to the wall of the Azara. Look at 22, it'll tell you 11 amas space between the sanctuary and western end of courtyard. Okay, now on the other side, right from the uh, front of the Beit HaMikdash to the end of the uh, wall of the Azara on the eastern side, you had 76 amot. Okay, that took you to Sha'ar Nikanor. Sha'ar Nikanor is number five. You see, right? So from the front of the Beit HaMikdash to the Sha'ar Nikanor was 76 Amut. Okay, that's a fact. From number 17? Correct, entrance? correct. From the entrance over there until uh, Sha'ar Nikanor was 76 Amut. Okay? Now, the Rabbi Yehuda said that the tunnels that were underneath the Beit HaMikdash, were Kodesh, those referring to the tunnels that led, uh, I'm sorry, the ones that were not Kodesh, are the ones that led to the 11 Amot side. That 11 Amot side is not as Kodesh as the 76 Amot side. That's towards the Temple Mount. So therefore, the Gemara is uh, making a chaluk between where the tunnels were. The tunnels on the 11 Amot side, underneath, that lead to that spot, they're not Kodesh, even though they're opening up to the Azara. They're open to the Azara, but to that 11 Amot area. However, if it's coming from the other side, where it's opened up towards the west, towards the Beit HaMikdash, that, those tunnels underground indeed are going to be Kodesh. So it depends where the chamber opens up to. If the chamber that's underground opens up on the western side of the Beit, on the eastern side, I'll say, of the Beit HaMikdash going west towards the, um, towards the Azara, so that's Kedushah. Because that's going towards the Beit HaMikdash. That area was sanctified. And that's considered Kodesh. However, so even the tunnels have been of Kodesh. Whereas on the other side, uh, going towards the temple, we're going towards the uh, east. If you're going that way, now Shani Kanor is going towards the west. You're entering Shani Kanor going west to the Beit HaMikdash. On the other side with the 11 Amawas, if you have a tunnel going, well, you're going towards the Beit HaMikdash, it's east. 
Because she's behind the Bet HaMikdash. Because she's behind the Bet HaMikdash. She's making a tunnel going towards there. Kodesh Kodashim is behind. So put it this way. On the back of the Bet HaMikdash, you had 11 Amah. On the front of the Mikdash, you had the 76 Amah. From the back, it's not Kodesh. And from the front, it is. That's it. That's the answer of the tunnels. Okay? Uh, you could read that in 19 just to get it clearer. The sanctuary was built near the western end of the courtyard. Its back, the western side, was only 11 amot from the western courtyard boundary. Whereas its front was 76 amot from the eastern boundary, where the main courtyard entrance, Shani Kanor, was located. When the Buddha stated that the tunnels underneath the sanctuary were not consecrated, he referred to tunnels that led from beneath the sanctuary through the 11 Amas space on its western side to the Temple Mount, as we explained. Okay. Comes the Gemaran says, Tashema. We're going to bring another question against Rav. Again, Rav said that the rules and the second stories of Yerushalayim were not sanctified. Uh, we have a question. Who question? Vegago Kodesh. Clearly, end of question. The roof of the Beta Mikdash was Kodesh. Now, you're going to answer me, yeah, because that was based on Pesukim. Right? Didn't we say it's based on Pesukim? Well, if you look at the Pesukim that we quoted earlier, it only mentioned that the Aliyot, that the different stories of the uh, Beta Megdash had Kedushah. That was part of the blueprints. But it doesn't say in that Pasuk anything about Gagot. So therefore, the question then is, it's not, it's not based on any Pesukim that it's called this. So how then do you tell me that the Gag of the Beta Megdash was indeed Kodesh? Comes again, Moran says, "Vetisbera." You think it's a question? Ve'aketani gagin halalu en ochlim sham kodesh kodashim ve'en shohatim sham kadashim kalim. Clearly, they could not be sanctified because the halacha says that you can't eat kodesh kodashim on the roof, nor can you slaughter korbanot of kadashim kalim on the roof. Now if you tell me that indeed it had Kedushah, seemingly these items should be permissible. Which means, these items of eating Kodesh Kodashim, or slaughtering Kodeshim Kalim, can only take place in the Azara. In the Azara proper. Yeah? The Shahita of Kodeshim Kalim, and the Akhila of Kodesh Kodashim. Example, the eating of Qurban Hattat, and the slaughtering of Qurban Chilamim. It can only take place in the Azara. Now, it clearly says here that what? You cannot slaughter or eat on the rooftop. That means it doesn't have Kodesh. So now we have a contradiction. <laughs> Does the roof of the Beit HaMikdash have Kedushah? Or doesn't have Kedushah? Gemara says, Ve'elakashya gago Kodesh. Or make up your mind. We just said a statement that what? That the Gag of the Beit HaMikdash has Kedushah. Does it or does it not? Kemara's answer, Amar of Chama Barguria, Leotan Shete Amot. Yes, it had Kiddushah for two things. For two measuring sticks that were stored on the roof of the Beit HaMikdash. For everything else, the Beit HaMikdash roof is not Kodesh, like Rav said. I, when we say it's Kodesh, yeah, we stored certain um, utensils 
on the Bet HaMikdash. What specifically do we store on the Bet HaMikdash? Shte Amot. These are two one-amah measuring sticks. Of course, when they built the Bet HaMikdash, you needed to measure. You needed to measure uh, dimensions. You needed to measure for the uh, utensils that were made out of gold and silver. So they would have special uh, uh, rulers, we'll call them, that were one amma in size. That two of them actually. And where would they keep them? Keep on the roof. So they had that. It was considered kodesh. Vitnan, because we have a mishnah. Shte amotaya bishushan habira. Now, the area on the roof of the Beit Hamikdash they kept these rulers. We'll call them. They called that area shushan habira. Why would they call it shushan habira? We know shushan habira was the capital of. Persia. That's where the story of Purim was. So, some explain that when the Jews came back from Paras, and they built the second Beit HaMikdash, they wanted to remember the miracle that took place. So, in that area of the roof of the Beit HaMikdash, they built like an image of the city of Shushan. And some explain that they did it in order to pacify the Persian rulers. Because the Persian rulers didn't want the Jewish people to rebel. So they wanted to show the Jews that they were still under their dominion. So they put a picture of Shushan Abira on the roof of the Beit HaMikdash. And they called that area Shushan Abira. And it was in that area called the Shushan Abira where they put these two rulers and they stored them. So Gemara says, Ahat al-Kerin Mizrahit Sefonit. One of them, one of these areas, was on the... Mizrahit uh, Safuni, I will call it the northeastern corner. And one was on the other side, on the southeastern corner. That little area on the um, uh, northeastern side. The Amma was a half a etzba bigger. Than the Amma that they use in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu. Bunch of you. An Amma is six tefahim. Each tefah is four etzbaot. And therefore, a standard Amma in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu was 24 etzbaot. This ruler that they used in the Beit HaMikdash was 24 and a half etzbaot. For some reason that the Gemara will explain. Yeah. They added an extra half That's why the Gemara will explain why was the ruler bigger. Now, and the ruler that was on the southeastern uh, south side, it was bigger than its counterpart by another half an etzba. That means, etzba comes out that the second ruler was bigger than the ruler of Moshe by one full etzba. So the Gemara says, What was the reason? Why, why do you need these rulers? Just make them the standard size. Why make one big? By an etzba bigger, one is a half etzba. What's the uh, what's the reason? So the Gemara says, She'yuwa umanim notlim baketana which means the Gemara says a reason. 
they used to hire craftsmen, let's say, to work in the Beit HaMikdash to do the uh, job. Right? So the craftsmen would charge a certain amount of uh, money. Now, they have to produce a very exact work. Because if they produce uh, less than the amount that's required from them, Hazbe Shalom is considered Mi'ira. They are taking Kodesh funds and they're stealing. Because they're not producing what they're supposed to. So therefore, uh, they would tell them, for example, we need an amah of this item. Now the amah was given to them, they were paid for an amah of the smaller measure. Which means, whatever it costs to make an amah, let's say, of the Moshe Rabbeinu, 24 etzba'ot. However, they were required to use the stick of, let's say, 25 or 24 and a half. Point is, they're always going to be giving extra. They're getting paid for the smaller shi'ur, but they're always producing a little more than they're getting paid for. Right. In order why? So they don't come to take away. So they don't come to take away. Because if they come to do less, then already you have a problem of mi'ila. So I'll read that in the Lashon of the Gemara again. The contract was taken according to the smaller measure. But when we returned the goods, it was based on the larger measure. Why? So they don't come to Me'ila. Uh, Smaller measure and larger measure is sticks. Moshe's stick. No, Moshe's stick and their stick. They're asking the Gemara why the two. No, that's another. We're going to get to that question in a second. The Gemara is going to answer One's for the gold and silver, and one is for construction. Meaning, at the same time that we don't want the Umanim to shortchange the Beit HaMikdash, we don't want to cause the Umanim a loss, that they're going to have to produce, you know, a larger amount than expected. So when it comes to gold and silver, that's expensive. So therefore, we measure according to the 24 and a half Hetzba'ot Amah, why? Just so they get a little extra, but we don't want to, you know, have to put uh, too much more gold and silver. It'll incur a loss to the craftsmen. When it comes to the construction, I guess the bricks and things like that that are cheaper, so then already we use the larger uh, one of the measuring sticks, and uh, they'll have to uh, eat the extra cost. But it's to their benefit. We're saving them from the potential of meila of putting less. Comes the Gemara and continues. Tenan. We learned in our Mishnah. Ahalonot That's the windows of Yerushalayim. And the walls, the thickness of the walls, are considered kelefnim. They're considered within Yerushalayim. Which means, let's say you had the windows, right? The windows used to come out of the walls. So you had like a thick window sill. So those window sills of the windows are considered inside. And the thickness of the walls themselves, right? On top are considered inside. So comes the Gemara and says, Bishlama halonot. I understand the windows. Mashka hatla 
Deshavya lekarka azara. Which is, you can find a case, you can find a case that the windows will be uh, level with the floor of the azara. Let's review again. The azara was high. So it's possible you have a building in the Temple Mount, right? That's high. So it has its window. So the window is going to be equal with the azara level, with the floor of the azara. Therefore, the window itself can have kedushah. Why? Because it's on the same level as the azara. However, the Gebara says, When it comes to the thickness of the walls, meaning of the buildings, let's say, How could the top of the wall be level with the courtyard floor, the azara's floor? Which means, yes, the wall, the walls of... Not of Yerushalayim. No, no, no. What's the building? Of the Mishkan. Not of the Mishkan. I mean of the Bet Mikdash. Not even that. You have the... Any building, its walls are considered... Uh, it's saying the, the thickness of the walls is considered inside. So we're considering inside of the Azara. Yeah. Not coming out to eat hatat. Not coming out to make shahita for Kadashim Kalim. Whatever has to be done in the Azara. Oh, so yeah. So therefore, we're saying the window sills. I understand I can be far the azara. Ra continues. Ela ovia hama hechi mashkahale. The thickness of the wall. How do you have a case that it's kodesh? How can the top of the wall be level with the courtyard floor? Because the uh, he says over here the azara wall was forty feet tall. So therefore, how could you have the wall, let's say, of the Azara? Let's talk about that wall specifically. It's not the houses. No, take the wall of the Azara. Okay? The wall of the Azara, if I have a window, the window can be a little lower. It can be equal with the Azara itself. I have no problem that the ledge of the windowsill will be considered the theme. But how could you tell me the top of the wall is going to be considered inside? The top of the wall of the Azara is 40 amma. Now, the floor of the Azara, although it sloped up, it did not get to 40 amma. So that we never had a part of the top of the wall equal to the top of the Azara. So how did that happen? So the Gemara answers, Mashkahatla Bebar Shura. It was referring to the low wall, which means in the Azara you had two walls. You had the tall wall that we just mentioned of 40 Amma. Then there was a second wall built in front of it, like as a support wall. That was lower. So that lower wall, it was possible for it to be equal to the height of the Azara. Now how do you know there was what the Gemara calls a Barshura. How do you know there was a secondary wall there? Dikhtiv, because we have a Pasuk. This Pasuk is in Megillat Echa. It says that when the Beit Hamikdash was destroyed, that the uh, the rampart and the wall mourned. The rampart they're calling that the small wall in front of it that was a support to the larger wall. So you see the pasuk ve'yavel hel ve'choma ve'amar aba. That's talking about the wall. Yeah, the wall and the low wall. Which is basically what I was saying like this. 
the Mishnah. The Mishnah said that the windows of the Azara and the thickness of the walls of the Azara are considered Lifnim. They considered Azara. Meaning whatever you could do in the Azara, you could do on those windowsills, and you could do in the walls, those walls areas, the walls of the Azara. So the Gebrad, I understand how the windows are considered part of the Azara. Because the windows, it's possible for the windows to be flush with the Azara. You have a window that's low, right? And it's equal level, and therefore no problem. But how could you tell me the top of the wall, which is 40 amma high, <coughs> and we know the Yagin and the Aliyot, they don't have a Kedusha, only if it's on the same level. How do you have a case where the top of a 40 amma wall of the Azara is going to be considered a Fnim? So you're right. This outer wall, it's impossible. But there was a smaller wall in front of the 40 Amma wall. It was like a support wall. It was lower. And that top of that wall did, at one point, did come equally with the sloping uh, high, inclinedly up, uh, Azara. So that's what we're talking about. And that wall, the second wall, we know it from those Vayavel, Vayavel Chel Vechoma. Chel Vechoma is two walls, and the, the rabbi explained that was Shura Ubar Shura. It was the wall and the supporting wall in front of it, the high wall and the low wall. Okay, and we go to the next Mishnah. Shtei Haburot. Okay. Appropriate, we're studying on Erev Pesach. Yedal Nisan. This is when uh, these events happen, so it's in Yanet de Yoma. Shete Haburot. Shayu Ochlin Bebayetehat. Okay, two groups were eating the Korban Pesach in one house. The explanation over here is they were all part of one group, as we learned. Korban Pesach, you have to register. Which means each Korban Pesach has its registrants, and uh, they could only eat in that group. The Hadush is over here, they're all in the same house, but in the house themselves they broke up into two separate groups. Which means one is eating on one table, and the other half of the group is eating on a, another table. Okay? No, same animal, all registered as part of that animal, they're just not eating at all together. So again, Shete Haburot Shayu Ochlin Bebayit Echad Elu Ofkin at Penehen Helach Be Ochlin Ve Elu Ofkin at Penehem Helach Be Ochlin. Each one can turn their backs to each other, which means you don't have to sit together. These people are sitting with their backs towards their uh, friends behind them. Rashi Shete Haburot Shayu Ochlot. Pesach Echad Bebayit Echad Elu Hofkim Penehem Ilach Elam Sedichim Lahaseb Elu Keneged Elu Leyot Nirin Kehabura Echad They don't have to sit leaning towards each other so they look like one group Elu Rashain Lahafoch Penehem Elu Ilach Veelu Ilach Each one is able to turn their uh, heads or their backs to each other Vafilu Nirin Keshte Chaburot Lo Echpatan even if they look like two different groups, we don't care. According to one opinion, the Qurban Pesach can even be eaten in two different homes. Mishtech, I would have broken the group into two. Although more so in the same house, where they just 
sitting back to back. That's the first deen of the Mishnah. The Mishnah continues, Vameham Beemsa. They would have the kettle with the hot water in between the two groups. The kettle was in order to dilute the wine for the Arba Kosot. So that she says, Vameham, Shehamehamemim Bohamin. They would heat water. Shemuzgin Bohayayin. They would make Miziga, they would dilute the Arba Kosot wine with it. Rashain Latet Beemsa. They could put that in the middle. Which is the shamosh, the waiter, that was serving in between the two groups. So to make it easy for him, they would put the urn, let's say, of water in, in between them. And then they could run back and forth between one group and another group, giving them the wine. They don't have to now put the urn somewhere else, because you might argue, well, it's separating between the two groups. And it really looks like they're two separate groups. Now, keep the urn in the normal place. Even though it might look like an interference with the Hamurot, no ikhbatan. Now the shamash has to commit himself to one of the groups. So he's eating, let's say, with one group. But when he wants to serve the other guys, he's able to get up from that group. Not eat with the other group, of course. Because even though we're allowing the two groups to separate, you still have to eat with the group that you sat down with. It doesn't mean that now you can just start, you know, mixing and matching and, you know, start over there and eat over there. The leniency we're telling you is that the one group can divide themselves and sit back to back to each other. But once they commit to that table where they're eating, that's where they eat. They can't get up now and say, well, we're part of the same group, I'm going to continue eating my Korah Pesach over there. As a matter of fact, the Mishnah continues and says, when the waiter gets up to pour the uh, you know the wine to the other group, number one he has to close his mouth and he has to turn his head towards where he's eating, meaning his back is towards the people that he's pouring. Why? Because he's not allowed to give the impression that he's eating with them. He committed to eat with the guys on the right, let's say. Right? Now he wants to pour wine for the guys on the left. So when he pours the guys on the right, the, to the left, of course his mouth is closed. Because if his mouth is open, it might look like he's eating something. And he's allowed to eat with those guys on the left. And his back is towards them. And I guess he takes their cup, and he pours, and he just gives it back to them. In order, right, not to give the impression that he's eating with them. Until he goes back, to his group. Okay, once he goes back to his group, then he can continue eating, etc. Ve'ochel. Then he continues, and he continues to eat. Ve'akala hofechet et paneha ve'ochelet. That gives us a rule of a bride that's eating in a group. She is able to turn her face away from the group and eat. Why? So the Gemara will explain that she says, Ve'akala, she bosha. She's embarrassed. Because usually everybody is looking at the bride. Even though they're not allowed to look at the bride, they're looking at her <laughs> ornaments, they're looking at her, you know, jewelry and things like that. So she's embarrassed that all the eyes are on her. So therefore she's allowed to turn around 
and face the other way. That she says, She bushad Hashim la'afuch panel letzad acher olechol kedamer pesach nechal b'shte haburot. Which means, like we said earlier, that pesach can be eaten technically in uh, two groups. So she is looking the other way. She, she's sitting with this group, but she's just looking towards the other group. That is fine. Pay this for in yan of modesty. Okay. Now we go to the Gemara. Matnitin Mani. Who is the author of our Mishnah? What I says, Rabbi Yehudai. It is Rabbi Yehudai. The Tanya, because we learned in the Brayta, Alabatim Asher Yochelu Oto Bahim. So it says Alabatim, right? The houses that you are going to eat the. Korban Pesach melamed shapesach neechal beshte haburot, which means that you see that the korban Pesach can be eaten in two different groups, because it says Asher yochelu oto bahim, which means you will eat them. Sounds like in different groups. Yachol yehe haochel ochel beshte mekomot. Oh. But the guy that commits himself to one place, is he allowed to go now eat in a different place? Comes the Gemara and says, No, Tamud Omar, Bebayit Echad Yeachil. Mikan Amru, Hashamash She'achal Kezayit Pesada Tanur. From here we learn that let's say the, the Shamoshu was roasting the Korban Pesach, right? Accidentally, let's say, he put a Kezayit in his mouth. He started to eat. Now, According to the law, he's stuck. He can only stay now and eat in that spot. It's no problem for everybody else to eat somewhere else. We can have shteh But he himself, once he starts eating in that spot, he can't go eat in a different place. So the Gemara says, If he's a smart shamash, waiter, let him just fill up his stomach as much as he can eat till he's full because he can't move to any other location. Again, if, if the guys in the Habura want to do him a favor and go uh, sit with him and keep him company, they have a right to do so. Again, they don't have to do that. They can go sit on their own Habura. Okay. The very Buddha. So let's get the Buddha's opinion clear. The Buddha is of the opinion. While it can be eaten b'shteh haburot, it cannot be eaten b'shteh mekomot. B'shteh haburot means that uh, one habura is in one place, another habura is in another place, even if the haburot are in two different homes. According to the Buddha, it's okay. But once you commit to sit in that spot where you're eating, you cannot move to a different place. Rabbi Shimon Omer, the Bishwan says like this. His opinion has to be clear, clarified. Granted, you must start eating as one group together, but after you start together in your group, you're allowed to get up and go to a different group. So he agrees. He agrees that you must start together in the same makom. However, you can move to a different makom. Let's read that in. Uh, well, the she we don't have it. What we're going to have it soon. The Buddha doesn't say to start together. No, the Buddha does not hold like that. The Buddha holds that you can eat lechet in shtei haburot, 
but what? You're not allowed to move as a result. Whereas the Bisham on saying you can eat Bishteh uh, Haburot and you could go with Shteh that's not a problem. But after you sat down in your respective Habura, then you're allowed to go into a different place. So he's more lenient. He's letting you go even to a different place. That's right. So again, when it says in the Pasuk, that is referring to each individual. Which means, they start off one, and when he's eating, Right, and then he's able to uh, go. He cannot go from the beginning and to to, to place. He has to commit himself to one uh, habura. But they can split in the beginning in the first place, like Rabbi Yudas. Habura can split, and then after the habura split, able to, he's able to go to a to a different habura, to the habura of, his, of the other guys. So again, according to the, let's read Rashi. Let's read Rashi. Let's start from the Gemara. Rashi. Ala batim asher yochelu oto. Mashma, this is the quote of Yehuda. Shne bene Adam ochlim pesar echad beshne batim. Dichtiv yochelu shenaim, which means yochelu is plural. That means two guys. Oto had pesar batim shenaim, meaning yochelu, two people will eat it in batim, meaning one in one bite and one in the. Other bites of me, you can learn that you can have different haburot. Yachod ye adam echad ochel b'shtei mekomot, kegon b'shtei hadarim or b'shtei haburot afukot p'neem, tamud omar bebayit echad ye achel. What does bayit echad teach me? The Rabbi Yudah Savar yesh em lemasoret. The Rabbi Yudah goes according to the way it is spelled. We go according to the priority of the way the word is spelled. Ye achel. We read it, Ya'achel. But it's written, Yochal. Without Nikudot, you don't put Ya'achel. If you say Ya'achel, it's going on the Korban Pesach. That the Korban is, if you say Yochal, it's going on the person. So the Biyuda goes with the way it is written. That's called M. Lamasoret. So therefore, as she says, Yochal Ketiv, Mashma. Adam Ehad Ochlo Bebayit Ehad. So as if the Pasuk says, Bebayit Ehad Yochal. Meaning, the person can only eat it in one place. Velo Bishne Batim. Avalga Beochli Marbe Keti Batim Marbe. But when it comes to the uh, uh, eaters of the Korapesa, they can eat it like a Taila in uh, different Haburot. Just that once you commit to that Haburah, you can't move. He was part of the group, but he forgot he put some kazai in his mouth. Because if he moves, he can't eat anymore. Uh, that is the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. Which means, uh, the Pasuk that says, uh, That means, each guy, each individual, guy of the Habura, can go to different Batim, can go to different groups. That's the way the Bishamon learns. Comes to, he can fill his stomach. He, 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 he
Yeah, but he can only eat in that spot. He has to come back to that spot to eat. He cannot eat somewhere else. That's the point. Okay. Comes the Gemara and says, Oh, the Gemara clearly says, Can the Korban Pesah be eaten in two Haburot? Tamud Omar Bebayit Echad Yachil. Rashi says, Yachol Yikarosh Pesah Echad Beshte Haburot. Meaning, initially, can the Korban Pesah be eaten in Beshte Haburot? No. The Khatailah has to be eaten in one group. Why? Because it says, Bebayit Echad Yachil. So therefore, the Bishamon says like this. Initially, you got to start off as one. Okay? As opposed to, as opposed to two, like the Biuda. The Biuda says you could have two Haburot. Start. start off with two Haburot, but whatever guys got stated. According to the Bishamon, he said, no, initially you start off as one large group. Now, if one guy wants to walk away and eat somewhere else, no problem. No problem, he could do that. Okay? So, each one has their, uh, we'll call it Humran Kula, I guess. Whereas the Biuda doesn't necessitate one Habura initially. He does say, once you're there, you're stuck. Whereas according to the Bisham, all he says, you don't need, you need initially one Habura, but once you start with the Habura, you can each guy go and go where he wants. So the Gebra says, huh? What does Bayer Echad teach you that though? So what? Well, the Gebra is going to say the source now. What is the root of the Mahloket? Uh, so the Gebra says, well, Bayit Hatij you in one house, meaning in one place. Rabbi Yudah had them in the same house. Uh, so, so, so the Gemara says, Bemaika Mepligi, this is the source. Rabbi Yudah Savar Yesh Em Le Masoret, the Rabbi Shimon Savar Yesh Em Le Mekra. The base of the Mahloket is on the Pasuk that says, Bebayit Echad Yeachil. Right? So, do you read it Yeachil, meaning do you give priority to the way it's read? Or do you give priority to the way it is written. spelled, the way it is written? That's called Yesh Em Lamasorin. Let's go one at a time. If you give priority uh, to the way it is uh, written, it is written Yochal. Okay? Now Yochal is going on the person. Bebayit Echad Yochal, which is teaching me that the eaters, right? The eaters uh, can only be in one place. That's the Yudah. Which means you cannot go away from that one place once you sat there. Whereas Rabbi Shimon will come along and say, uh, you go according to the Mikra. Uh, what is the Mikra? Yachil is not going on the guy. Meaning the Qurban Pesach itself is eaten in one place, which means what? That it's eaten in to start as a group, but what? The guy himself can go and move away. Look at Rashi, we read this inside. Tamudomar, Taplan and Rashi, Bebay Tahad Yachil. This is the Bishamon. Bekasabar Yeshem the Mikra. The Bishamon holds the priority is given to the way the Pasuk is red. Okay, read that she inside. The kasavah yeshem the mikra yeachel a pesach kae. It's coming on the korban. Velo agabre kilomar ikar tehilat achilato. It's initial primary eating tehe b'habura achat. It's got to be in one group. Velo yit halik b'shte haburot aval gabra, but the guy. 
ייבעה כאה מהכה ואזיל ואכיל הכה דלא כפיד רחבנה אלא עיקר תחילת אכילה The main thing the Torah concerns about itself is initially כמדקרינה נאכל הפסח ולא יאכל הגברה Okay, so that's the way that she learns in the Bishamon. Bebayit had yachil means according to Pesach, and it has to be eaten as one. But the guy himself, do whatever you want. Whereas the Biyuda, he learns no. We read it as if it says yuchal. And then we're saying, well, Bebayit had yuchal, you got to stay in that spot. That is the Mahloket. Continue. Hayu Yoshvim. Okay, they were sitting down having Kodban Pesach. What happened? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they put a wall in between the groups. There was one group. But the wall was put up, they had to split the group into two groups. Okay? In the middle of the uh, eating of the Quran Pesach. According to the opinion that says you can eat the Quran Pesach in two different groups, no problem. So the wall split them up into two groups. You're allowed to eat in two groups. No problem. But according to the opinion that says, you can eat in so then, which is according to the Bishamon, he holds that the Pesach Nishta has to be eaten in one Habura. And even though he allows, let's say, individuals to walk away, he doesn't allow the whole group to now separate into two separate groups. So therefore, according to the Bishamon, by separating with a Mechitsa, you are breaking the group. So therefore, it will not be good. So this comes out of Humrah, according to the Bishamon. Now, the opposite case. Uh, they were sitting. They were sitting in two different groups. And all of a sudden the Mechitzah came up. Right? They took away the Mechitzah. When you take off the Mechitzah now, the room changes. Now, now, let's say I was sitting, I was confined, right? I was in a small little area. All of a sudden you take off the Mechitzah. Now the room becomes much bigger. It's as if I'm sitting in a different place. According to the Bishamon that says, sitting in a different place is... Okay, from where I started, so it's going to be okay. But according to the Behuda that says, you can't change places, by moving a wall, you change the place. You're right, that's the Hidush. Either you didn't move, but you changed the room. You're in a different room now. Which is, before you were sitting confined in one area. Right? All of a sudden, they uh, took the wall and they moved it. Now right, the room became much bigger. So it's considered a different place. Right, so the Bisham on comes along and tells you, so it's like you moved. You didn't move, but it's like you moved. So what? You can move. However, according to the Behuda, you can't move. I didn't move. Stationary, I stayed in the same spot. But the room changed. That's like you changed. So comes the Gemara and says, and we'll conclude with this, Yativ Rav so Rav was sitting, Kapashit Lemifshat. He said over the following halakha with the walls, being added or the walls being removed. And he said, according to the Behuda, the deem will be this. According to Bishon, the deem will be this. He said it as it was Pashut, meaning he took it for granted. Which means, you taking this deen is so Pashut, you should have a question. Although, 
which means it's not so simple. You want to tell me that when you add a wall, right, that all of a sudden you're telling me now it's considered two haburot. And therefore you want to tell me according to Rabbi Shimon it's no good. And that's, that's not so simple. They were all sitting together. Nobody really moved over there. Maybe just because you're, you're hitting a wall in between them, maybe it doesn't break them into two haborot or the other side. Maybe when you take a me'itza open uh, off, who tells you that that's considered shtemekomot, according to me, that's going to tell me, it's no good. Which means, he was saying, I hear the sevarot, but you're taking it as if it's pursuit. So he comes along and says, tiku. His eye hold, at least this should be a question for in the Nevi. Let's just read the Rashi's. Okay, one case of the Mechitsa was moved. Okay, they put it down. They put the Mechitsa in between them. Now they became two groups. According to that even though, technically, when you put the wall down, you might argue it's considered two different places. Right, like the other way. So how does the Bihuda allow you to sit when the wall came down? Why does he say it's Asur Midin Shteh? So that If anything, he got confined. Confining is not considered makom hadash. He's not seeing any more space than he saw. If anything, you you close them in. So therefore, according to Rabbi Yudah, let's review. Rabbi Yudah will say like this: They were sitting together, right? <coughs> you put the wall there. What does the wall make it? Shtei haburot. Shtei haburot. Okay. Because stay mik- no, not because you didn't move. Because I didn't make the room bigger. Very, I made the room smaller. I didn't add any space to them. Okay, so that's how it works according to him. Next one. Are you Next case, you have two haburot. Why to Rabbi Shimon is enochlim? Rabbi Shimon should be the opposite. According to Rabbi Shimon, you're not allowed. Uh, uh, you got to start in one haburah. You're right. They started and then they put the then they put the the no, no. You're right. You're right. You're right. But now, once you put the, uh, the 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 wall over here, it's as if now you're making uh, two separate haburot. He only allows one or two guys, let's say individuals, to leave the haburah, but not to split it into. Two separate haburot. That's what Mefashim explained. Now, Rashi, Hayu Yosvin bet haburot b'shtei batim ve'achlusham pesachem. Two haburot are sitting uh, in uh, two houses or two rooms, we'll call it, and they're eating the pesach v'nistalkam mechitza. Right? What's something? The middle wall came down. Now, all of a sudden, they are together. Yeshkan avir hadash. Now it's considered new space. That's like a new area. And therefore it's like they're eating in a first place and they're eating in a second place. It's okay. Next question. Next question. 
וסילוק בחייסה עושה אותם שתי מקומות, ולא מספקלה במידה. הדס עוד בבא קמא לא נצא להודד, who told you? who told you that putting down a מחייסה makes two חבורות, and lifting up a מחייסה makes two מקומות, at least it should be a question, think we said it should be a תיקו. And the Gemara continues, הכלה הופכת את פניה, we learned in the Mishnah, that a kala that is sitting in a group, bride, she turns her face away and she may eat from the Qurban Pesach. So the Gemara says, my ta'ama, what is the reason for this? Which means what purpose uh, does she, uh, you know, act in not the normal mode of behavior? Amar bihiya bar abba, Amar bihanan, bipneshi bosha, because she is embarrassed. Because we explained that the People usually look at the kala, they look at her ornaments, they look at her, um, her uh, clothes, etc. And therefore, since she's ashamed, so she's allowed to turn her face around. The Tosfot points out that the chidush over is that we don't consider it that she's eating in two different mekomot. Because you might think since she sat down and she turned her face um, you know, to the other side, so she's eating in two different places. Kamash ma'alan, that that is not the problem. Ina meh, kamash ma'alan. The second Hadush Tosfot says, like we're going to see later on, that the Kala, specifically her, she is the one that's supposed to turn her face to the exclusion of everybody else. Because when it comes to other people, the Gibran will say it might be a problem, but the Kala has no problem to turn her face. Comes the Gibran says, Ravuna bered Rav Natan, Ikla lebed of Nachman bar Yitzchak. So Ravuna the Rav Natan found himself and visited the house of Rav Nachman Bar Yitzhak. Amru Mashemach. So they said to him, what is your name? Amaleu Ravuna. Amru Nitev Mor Apuria. They said, uh, why don't you sit on the couch? Yatib. So he, he seated himself. Yavune Kasa, they gave him a cup of wine to drink. Kebele Behadzimna. He accepted it on the first offer. Meaning he didn't refuse. Right away he accepted the wine. Veshatya Betrezimne. And he drank it in two gulps. Velo Ahadar Apeh. And he did not turn his face away when he was drinking. Meaning he drank it in front of his hosts. So they told him, Why did you call yourself Ravuna? Well, why do you give yourself the title Rav? You should have just said Huna. Why did you preface it with the word Rav? Which means, this is what I'm called. She says that since my childhood, uh, I've been called Ravuna. Therefore, it's almost as if it became part of his name. If it wasn't Hasbush Shalom arrogance, he was just saying this is the way I am referred to. My Tama ki Amru So they continued, why when we told you to sit on the couch, you seated yourself? It seems that this was uh, they portrayed it as arrogance. It seems only um, important uh, people would sit on the couch. Everybody else would normally sit on the floor. And here, when they offered him to sit on the couch, right away he sat. Maybe he should have refused and said, no, it's okay, uh, I'll sit somewhere else. So they're saying, why did you right away accept to sit on the couch? Amar lehu. So they replied, because we learned in the Braita, kol ma shiyomalecha balabayit aseh. Because there's a rule, whatever the host tells you to do, you do. And therefore, I you know, have to acquiesce, I have to listen, I can't uh, refuse. Now, if you look in the Gemara, in the parentheses, it says the words, Chutz Mitzeh. <clears throat> now, this needs to be uh, understood, what does it mean, Chutz Mitzeh? If anything that the Baal tells you, you have to listen to him, except if he tells you to leave. 
What does this mean? So one interpretation is that when it comes to leaving, then you should do on your own. You don't have to wait for the Baalabai to tell you to leave. See, the person has to know if he's overstaying his uh, stay. And sometimes the Baalabai might be embarrassed uh, to tell the guy, uh, the guest, you know, I'm tired, I want to go to sleep. So when it comes to everything else, call Mashi you have to wait for explicit instructions. When it comes to leaving, you should know that on your own. Others interpret that in the old texts of the Gemariyot, it said, Chutz Mitzad Isur, meaning, listen to whatever the Balabai tells you, unless it entails something of Isur. If he tells you to do something forbidden, of course, of course you can't listen. So they came and abbreviated Sad Isur by writing Chutz Mitzad. And therefore, uh, that's what it really meant, Chutz Mitzad Isur. Lastly, <coughs> But we may say in the Nasha, based on the Gemaran Hagiga, that tells us the story of Elisha bin Abuya, who was the <coughs> rabbi of Rabbi Meir, but then he went off the path, and um, he became a Mehalel uh, Shabbat, and he became almost an apostate. Uh, that being said, one day he was walking by the Kodesh Kodashim, it was a Shabbat, and it was Yom Kippur as well, and he heard a voice coming from the Kodesh Kodashim, Shuvu Banim Shovavim, Chutz Me'elisha, Men Avuya. Everybody could make Teshuvah, all the wayward children, except for Elisha. And Elisha took that heavenly voice as a confirmation that there was uh, no chance for him to make Teshuvah. And he said, that's a sign that I am uh, I'm pushed away. Now the rabbis tell us that was his test. He should not have listened to the heavenly voice because in truth, everybody has a chance to make the shuvah no matter what their sin was. And that was just a test for Elisha if he should listen to that misleading message from Shamayim. And this is the way we may explain the statement. The Baalabayit in this sense is referring to God. Whenever God says, you have to listen. Chutz mitzeh. Unless he tells you, go out. Which means if he tells you that there's no chance for you to make Teshuvah, in that case you don't have to listen. That's only a test. And therefore, there is room even for the worst person to repent. Chutz Mitzah. Comes again when I continues. My tamaki Why, when you were given the cup, you received it right away? Uh, which means... Uh, this also uh, seems that it wasn't the Derech Eretz. It seems the Derech Eretz would have been to refuse. Uh, so why right away did you uh, accept the cup on the uh, first offering? So comes the Gabbana says, Amar Lehu, Misarbin Lekatan, Ve'en Misarbin Lagadol. A person can refuse maybe a lesser man, but a, uh, a great man you cannot refuse. And it seems that Rabbi Nachman Bar Yitzchak was considered a great man, so he offered him the wine. He says, I cannot uh, refuse you. Therefore, he, um, he accepted it. Now, the Mepharshim do point out that uh, Ravuna maybe could have answered the same answer we said before. Maybe he told him, has a cup of wine. So, uh, they didn't instruct him to drink. They just gave him the wine. And he drank himself. Uh, so therefore, you can't say he told him to drink. 
but he could use the principle of Misarvin Lekatan Ve'em Misarvin Legadol because but when he gives him the uh, the cup, uh, the implicit understanding is that he's uh, giving it to him to drink, and therefore I cannot refuse the gadol. Therefore, right away he took it and drank it. So comes again what and says, "My tama Why did you drink it in two gulps? Amar lehu detanya because we learned in the brayta. Shote koso bevatachad harezegargiran. If a person drinks his cup in one. A gulp, he's considered a guzzler. Shenayim derecheres. If he does it in two gulps, it's considered derecheres proper matters. Shiloshah But if he drinks it in three gulps, that's already considered haughty. Because you're drinking it in a haughty fashion. And why didn't you turn your face when you drank? Again, it seems that that would be a concept of modesty. You're drinking in public, so you should have turned your face. He says, "Amalu No, because the Mishnah only said that this law of modesty only applies to a kala, but it doesn't apply to others, and therefore it's not appropriate for a man to turn his face away while drinking. Mishmael Rabbi Yosef visited the home of Rabbi Shimon, the son of Rabbi Yosef ben Lekonya. Yavu lekasa, they gave him a cup of wine to drink. Kebene bechadzimna, veshetya bechadzimna. He accepted it right away, and he drank it in one shot. Amru le, Amri le, they said to him, No saval lamor, ashotek kosom evayt achad, hareze gargeran. Don't you hold of the statement that says if somebody drinks the wine in one shot is considered a guzzler? Amar lehu, lo amri katan. Number one, they weren't talking about this case where you gave me a small cup. matok, and your wine is sweet. Ukresi rehava, and I have a broad stomach, which means that dictum was said for average person drinking, let's say, an average cup, which would be, let's say, between three or four ounces. That's what the Shabbat Rav says. Uh, however, when it comes to the Bishmael, who was a stout person, so therefore, uh, he's saying it doesn't apply to me, because of the uh, amount that was given was small, and the wine was sweet, and he was large. Comes Gimaran, continues, Amar <coughs> Ravuna said, Let's say you have a group that are going to dine. They're going to eat. Now they have a waiter that is serving them. So the Gebra now discusses that if three people of the group are ready to start the meal, they are allowed to enter and begin the meal even before everybody else. Uh, which means they seat themselves, and now the waiter that they hired can begin or can begin serving them. Now, even though uh, this might burden the waiter with uh, having to serve the meal twice, meaning they sat down. Now others are going to show up later, so he has to serve them. You might say maybe everybody has to come at the same time to make it easy for the waiter. Okay, but us says no. It's okay if three people, at least three people, uh, come and uh, a little early, and they sit down. The waiter must serve them. The yotzin afilu be'ahat, and they may leave even at one of the time, one at a time. Which means now that they're sitting down, even if let's say some of the eaters 
uh, eat quicker than others, so those people are able to get up and leave the others behind. Now, even though it's going to be bothersome that the waiter has to wait on the people that remain behind, you might argue and say, no, maybe everybody has to leave at the same time. It's not so. They could leave separately, and the waiter still has to deal with the people that left behind. And the logic is because... The waiter understands that the nature of people, some eat quicker than others. And therefore it's almost understood when they sat down that they're not going to all get up at the same time. Comes the and says, Amar Rabah. Rabah says, Vehu da'ayil bi'idna lemeal. That this is only applicable when they entered at the normal time uh, for people to enter, which means what we're talking about over here um, that let's say uh, there's some stragglers that are remaining that's only talking if they're remaining at the normal time that the soul now lasts which means obviously they cannot sit the whole night <coughs> and expect to get served which means uh, they can sit in the normal time which is let's say the meal is normally served and for that matter, the three Men that come early can only come early uh, at the time of the meal, but they cannot come in the middle of the afternoon uh, and expect the, uh, let's say, the waiter to serve them. Another point: Vehu did dayala, and it's talking about that the waiter uh, was aware of their intentions in advance, which means they informed the waiter in advance that their practice is that they don't all finish at the same time. So the waiter knows from the beginning that when one guy gets up, the other guys are going to stay. So already he's mentally able to <coughs> adjust, and he knows that uh, this is the way that they uh, eat. Gemara concludes, Amar Ravina, Ravina taught, V'notnin sechar damim. Literally means they have to pay the waiters' wage, which means all of them have to pull together and give the waiter his money. The last one that remains is going to have to pay extra because he's causing the waiter uh, to stay longer. Furthermore, he's getting private service. So therefore, the Gemara is saying at this point that. When they're dividing the uh, wage of the waiter, they do take into account that the last one would have to pay a little extra. Uh, he does get compensated uh, for this extra work. The Gemara says, however, does not follow Ravina, and therefore even the one that finishes later does not have to compensate the waiter more than the rest of their colleagues, and he doesn't have to pay beyond the regular fee. Hadran alach ketzad solim.